Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jorunzu. And we are here with one of our deep dive episodes. So on our deep dive episodes, normally we won't have a guest that we'll interview, and it'll just be Jorundu and I as we discuss some of the more specific things about Dungeons and Dragons. This will be creatures, character classes, sometimes it might be a specific magic item. But today we are going to be focusing specifically on aberrations. So I think the best way to start off is if we're going to talk about aberrations, well, let's just see exactly what the Monster Manual says about aberrations. Right here on just the second page, aberrations are utterly alien beings. Many of them have innate magical abilities drawn from the creature's alien mind rather than the mystical forces of the world. The quintessential aberrations are aboliths, beholders, mind flayers, and slod. But there are a lot more than just that, especially if you dig beyond the monster manual. So, Jerundu, what is what do you think of when you think of aberrations? I mean, they're all different, but they have certain qualities about them that make them similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think mainly it's a, a pervading sense of psychic Cronenbergian body horror. Um, they're all very strange looking, um, Lovecraftian almost. Um, slithery, weird-looking, strange things. I mean, the very nature of the name aberration is something that's, you know, odd, um, un- unusual, aberrant, um, outside of the, n- the normal frame of experience. And certainly if you just look at, even if you were to just Google um, aberrations and look at some of the art for the, the creatures, I and mean, we all know about mind flayers and uh, beholders you're talking tentacles and um, nightmare fuel <laughs> for the most part certainly not as cuddly as a as an owl bear or something like that it's a you know really um, visceral uh, disgusting horrible nastiness <laughs> yeah they're like so monstrous that they're so monstrous, it's as if they had to make a new category beyond monstrosity. Mm. It's like these things that are so horrible. It's like you said, they're almost Lovecraftian. Yeah. They have these tentacles or eyes or multiple mouths or multiple rows of fangs. They seem to have some sort of like underwater feel to them, but they don't seem like they'd necessarily mm. be limited to water. It's as if they can just fly through space themselves. And in the book, they use the word alien specifically. and I think in a lot of ways that means literally that they could come from space and come from other planets, you know, in D and D a lot of time we focus on the other planes, but there's more than just one planet in a given plane by itself, just in the material plane, there could be the entire universe or the entire galaxy. And, you know, that can have thousands and millions of planets if you want it to in your own world. But when you start thinking about other planes of existence, now you have creatures that could be coming from other points in space, other points in time, other points in other dimensions beyond anything that you're, you're you, the player or your character could have ever encountered yeah. before. Absolutely. And as I say, these are some really strange looking things. I'm just looking now at the Forgotten Realms wiki and there's a creature called a, a Balhanoth, which basically looks like a cross between a, a Manawad jellyfish some kind of carnivorous plant with a predator mouth. And we're talking, this is a large creature um, roaming around in Shadowfell. It's, yeah. 
Oh god, what can it what can it do? This is just an example. So some abilities. They can warp reality around them in, in an area of up to 500 feet um, for about 10 minutes. They're incapable of creating objects from moving parts of magical properties, but they could just warp reality around them in a 500-foot sphere. <laughs> Some horrendous jellyfish monster. And almost almost always they're really high level. Now, not every aberration, but looking past and kind of researching a little bit for this episode, it seems like every one of them is not only horrific looking or, or horrifically described, but their their stat block from a meta point of view is horrific. It's like you do not want to run into that. Like you said, they yeah. most of them can like shape reality around them or somehow influence reality. And if they can't, that means they're usually the minion of some larger aberration that can do those types of things. I mean, this one's just a challenge right in 11. Just to give you an example, nine foot tall, the um, psychic reality warping jellyfish monster. I think you can really sort of make a a creature, an encounter with a creature like that is really going to be something that can shift the tone of your game completely into horror. <laughs> if you're just used to fighting orcs or even like something undead, I mean, a lot of undead stuff comes down to the DM how scary it is but zombies and vampires and stuff are kind of you know i think in a meta game you kind of way for us out of character it kind of played out in some respects whereas something like this is completely unknowable and not understandable in the in the first place so you know there's that kind of the fear of the inherent fear of the unknown because even within a fantasy context these things are obscure and um uncanny it's funny because these things are so strange that especially if you're a low level hopefully you don't run into one of these types of aberrations at a low level because most of them can mess you up they're going to kill you they're going to like you said warp reality around you a lot of them can jump through different dimensions they can control your mind they can feed off of your mind they all have these very powerful abilities beyond just like sheer strength but right on the very front cover of the monster manual is one of the most well-known monsters in all D&D, and yet one of the most feared and one of the most difficult to deal with, even if you have meta knowledge, like if you've been a DM a few times and you can't help but kind of know certain strengths and weaknesses, and that's the Beholder. And I know that we've already done a whole episode on them, but I think we'd be remiss if we don't at least mention the Beholder because mm. this is the quint. in my mind, this is it's not my favorite, but it is the quintessential aberration. I mean, it has all the things we talked about these giant eye and then these other eyes that do different things you wouldn't expect. These weird tentacles slash tendril looking things that, you know, hold onto these eyes, the eye stalks, and they shoot these death beams and sleep beams and ice beams and all sorts of stuff. And then they fly around. They have this godlike intellect. They, they seem to be able to shape reality around them. I think in the lore, they like dream the lesser beholders into existence. Things like the spectator and the gazer. They literally will them into existing. And something else that stuck out was the death tyrant. Mm. I know that's considered undead, but a death tyrant is when a when a beholder, um, when it's megalomania, like insane mind has gotten the better of it, when it's just ridden with anxiety and it's trying to sleep, it'll have these nightmares that are so horrific. It will will itself into becoming this undead creature that's essentially a demi-lich mixed with a beholder. I have never ran a ty death tyrant. I have never played against one, but just gazing at the the stat block for that in the monster manual, 
I mean, that's scary enough. The death tyrant seems mm. horrifying. It's it's a beholder that has become essentially immortal. I think that's the other thing to take away from a lot of these monsters is that they're not just like mindless beasts. They're intelligent, super intelligent, even um, a lot of them. So you you know you can really, as a DM, you can really inject personality into these um, creatures, and it doesn't because the the nature of what they are doesn't have to be you know, a conventional personality by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's an interesting thing to play with, uh, having this kind of power and this completely alien nature and having to sort of characterize that as a DM is, is an interesting opportunity to do some, you know, try out some interesting things. For sure. Some strange things. I mean, beholders are deadly enough in a traditional combat state, but, you know, one of the most popular and infamous beholders of all time, at least in official Dungeons & Dragons lore, is Xanathar. And Xanathar is not only this beholder that if you were to get into combat with him would be very dangerous, but he's a criminal mastermind. He runs the black market underwater deep. He is this being who runs entire gangs and runs like this underground world. He's he's more than just another monster to fight. He's a villain. He's your arch villain. He's the big bad guy at the end of the game. He's this creature that you could throw a, a level two uh, character in front of and they have to bow to his will essentially or get destroyed like he is this this mob boss this creature this person that you can use this character to really propel a campaign forward and i don't want to spend too much time on beholders so but a lot of the other uh aberrations are like that too where they have this crazy intellect where they are they're not just a monster you fight they are the boss Mm -hmm. of something they lead a whole hive of lesser aberrations they're like these invading masterminds which i think is why they fit so well in like the sci-fi type space setting as well as a fantasy setting absolutely because you know as as we say the the by the very nature they're alien they don't conform to conventional you know either appearance or necessarily you know the way they think or their society or their culture is completely uh, completely different i suppose at the, at the other end of the scale you've got something like a gibbering mouther which is just a, a blob of mouths and tentacles, but by their sort of very nature, they by being so strange and weird and giving off this weird aura, they can force you to run away in random directions. Um, I saw a yeah, they're horrifying to look yeah, at. They're terrifying, and then they scream like the description yeah, says they scream and, and in, in multiple voices in unison. Ring around the roses, something <laughs> like that. But I saw something on um, on Twitter. Apologies, uh, I can't credit this from the top of my head, but it was from somebody saying that they uh, placed gibbering mouthers on a like a raised platform going across lava. So to to traverse the map, they had to pass these gibbering mouthers and get potentially forced to run off in a random direction. Oh no! <laughs> right off into the lava. Right off into the oh, lava. Oh man, yeah. that's like some. You just die right right away type stuff. There's a really evil, evil encounter. Um, but I mean, these things aren't, you know, that's kind of the opposite end of the scale for you're not going to get a gibbering mouth of running a criminal cartel. True, but they can be extremely interesting uh, characters or extremely interesting monsters to use against your player characters because one of the things I noticed today when I was looking up some things about the gibbering mouther is, you know, earlier we were talking about how oozes... Uh, before we were recording, oozes are really similar to a lot of things. They they have a lot of qualities that the aberrations have, but technically they're separate. Um, well, one thing a gibbering mouther has this ability I didn't know about until today is they can liquefy stone 
by it says the mouths on the bottom of their body that uh, propel them along the ground produce an enzyme that can liquefy stone and that they carve out tunnels as they go. This would be a great opportunity to maybe take advantage of some of the meta knowledge your players have and make them think they're about to fight a normal ooze or a gelatinous cube. Oh, look, these are these hallways carved out by some sort of acid. It must be a gelatinous cube. And they turn the corner and it's a gibbering mouther. And that's just something so much more horrible, something they might not be expecting. And like you said, you can use it really creative and really diabolical ways by putting it in a room with lava or in a room of spikes, or maybe it pushes them where you have other traps waiting for them to be triggered. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say. I think it's sort of the use of a monster as a puzzle or a trap. It's just, it's something to, you know, encounters don't always have to be um, straight up rushing in melee combat. You can do interesting things outside of that um, to find interesting ways to, to solve other problems. You know, it's like kind of like the ultimate open world experience. and. Um, in that you know as a dm it's you're the final arbiter of um what is allowable and i think you should reward players for and encourage players to you know not necessarily treat everything as a as a big scrap all the time another um common aberration that a lot of people might already know about but you know, it's like one of those things that a lot of players know about, even when they're just starting. But then you'll talk to them and not that many people have actually fought one of these or succeeded against fighting one. And it's this other aberration being that just kind of like Xanathar, just like a beholder, I can see being in this like this leader role and it would just lead an army of, of bandits or an army of other creatures. And that is the Mind Flayer. Mm. So I think the Mind Flayer is probably one of the most popular aberrations there is next to the beholder and it's it's it has those same qualities we're talking about this kind of scaly skin these long literal tentacles like a lovecraftian cthulhu like vibe with these tentacles coming off of its face it has that like genius intellect i i might be i might be wrong but i, I think it's known to be even more intelligent than most beholders are and they they also are are more keen to work together in a giant hive and work together as this like crazy force going across the galaxy and just absolutely conquering entire planets because one mind flayer is a problem there's multiple uh pre-existing de- official wizards of the coast campaigns where a mind flayer is one single mind flayer is the big bad boss or one single mind flayer is in charge of an entire army of creatures but according to the description they stay in in entire they're called hives of thousands of them and they travel across the galaxy invading different planes of existence and different planets i mean that's horrifying that is something that you can create an entire campaign in fact halfway to heroes is creating an entire campaign kind of off that idea that there was this hive of of uh mind flayers and then they have dispersed across the galaxy and they're they're taking their turns conquering different parts as like this global takeover this galactical this galact wow galactic takeover and you know just one mind flayer is a thing just running into one mind flayer is a problem um, you could shape an entire universe after that concept. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's not even going into the way that they reproduce, which is straight out of Alien, you know, like the tadpoles and the sort of invasive um, way, that, the invasive non-consensual way that they uh, go around reproducing with the tadpoles and bursting out of your head and yeah they like charm you and mind control you and then literally 
latch onto your brain, your head with their mouth, mm. those tentacles, and they like suck away your your being essentially. They just take away like your mind and your memories and your personality. And then they infect you with these tadpoles that then feed off yeah. of your brain and they become mind devourers, which are little brains with beaks that run on legs and go to infect other people and cause them to go insane. It's it's scary. Yeah, I mean just the, the law as written is um horrifying <laughs> in itself uh, it really doesn't need too much embellishment i mean you can see the the sort of theme as i say to me just screams um alien um as in ripley but ripley alien. are you familiar with the piercer gerundu a monster called a piercer uh isn't that the stalag type that just sort of hangs onto the ceiling and drops off or am i thinking essentially it's so it's a little tiny like the picture makes it look like it's like the size of a banana or smaller. And it's this weird mm. maggot with these spikes and it has a big central eye and these fangs and its face is identical. And if not identical, it's extremely rem- like remnant of the um, Roper. And the Roper is what you're thinking of this, this stalactite that hangs on from the uh. ceiling and it's in, it's unperceptible unless you're like very carefully examining it. And it shoots out these tendrils that can wrap you up and pull you in every direction and it can uh, eat you. It doesn't say they're connected, but the piercer, it, apparently it can turn you to stone and it can inf- it can kind of paralyze people within a cave system. So I'm thinking, OK, they even though they didn't say it, I think they are supposed to be somewhat connected, like maybe it paralyzes victims and the roper feeds off of them. You know, neither of those creatures are aberrations. I was very surprised. I thought they both were. But I think those both of them have that same exact feel to him that same exact quality that weirdness the eyes the tendrils the the special abilities that like they can just completely become invisible i mean if you were making some sort of really creepy uh sci-fi campaign with a lot of aberrations i think even though those are not aberrations that including both of those would be very fitting and very horrifying in their own yeah well i think as i said to start the the thing with aberrations is that's you know that's what the word means it's something that's odd and strange and completely you know outside of conventional experience and those things sort of fit into that um certainly more so than um a lot of you know your standard fantasy trope um sort of things but i'm i'd be happy to see something like that you know uh a, you know a hard sci-fi campaign it makes you know it doesn't have to make sense by earth standards or you know favoring standards or whatever um these are weird things although i guess you know a, a degree of internal consistency sort of helps with the believability like with a a piercer, you know, or a roper, I kind of find that the ecology of the, of those must be pretty contrived, hanging around waiting for adventurers to come and be roped or dropped on. It sort of seems like an unlikely survival me- mechanism, but you know, for the for the sake of uh, the game, you know, it makes sense that you can just go magic and wave your hands. Well, it, it kind of—I mean, if you really want to think about it, and you really want to like think of a a backstory and try to make like logical biological sense out of it you know does that mean like they only have to eat every so many years and they slowly de- like they're made of stone you know maybe their metabolism's really well, slow yeah, and they exactly. devour you and they can you know over hundreds and thousands of years mm. because they are made of stone and i don't know they, they don't explain all of these details but as a dm you can certainly flesh out anything you want and you, you can you know have fun with trying to think how this kind of stuff would work in, in a real world there's no reason you know 
nine, probably ninety percent of parties aren't ever going to ask those questions. They'll just go, "Oh yeah, it's a it's a pointy rock monster. It's dead now. Move on." But it, I think these things are quite interesting to think about. You know, as as a DM, it's like if you're going to rationalise this creature existing, then how exactly does it do that? Because um, if it only catches and strangles one dwarf every twenty years when someone decides to go investigate the tomb or whatever, then <laughs> how is it existing otherwise? If you're making one of these sci-fi fantasy campaigns, you can they're aliens in an alien world. So if you were to somehow send your mm-hmm. your players to another planet or maybe to like the headquarters of the hive of one of these mastermind uh aberrations that we've been talking about, like a beholder or a mind flare, maybe they purposely put those in there mm-hmm. to guard their home. A beholder flies around, so their cave isn't going to be designed for things that can walk. It would make sense to have something like a roper because it also sticks to the walls, sticks to the ceilings. You know, this isn't Mario. You don't make a world that only your enemy can defeat. You make a world that supports the the mastermind behind it. So if you were making a, a head like a cave or like a layer for a beholder, don't make it where there's a lot of paths and doorways and things. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Make it make the adventurers work just to get through the layer. You know, not even thinking about having to fight the big boss. Well, I was just thinking in terms of, you know, if we, as you're saying, if we're talking about these mastermind great intelligences that procreate through some spooky, horrible ways, um, maybe they've engineered these things that don't seem like they would have a functional ecology in real life, these ropers and piercers. If they've, you know, if they've not been established to exist in your game world prior to that point, then, you know, the they're yours to fill in the law for as you wish you know if you if you if you want to say that a beholder invented ropers through some sort of biological experiments and left them around to ensnare you know trespassers in its lair then you know have at it um that kind of makes sense for that you know for that reason if it's anticipating you know trouble but yeah i think as i say you know with something that's so alien the law as it's written in the rule you know, doesn't have to apply ever. You can always just um, twist it to fit what's consistent with your own game and the campaign and the the world that you know you've already created. It doesn't have to be as as written. You can adapt it, and uh, certainly for sci-fi and space adventures, um, you can you can justify those using whatever kind of uh, narrative you you like. I mean, I, I have gone through the Monster Manual multiple times and going through it today to do some research for these um, aberrations, I was reminded of a, a lot of different creatures that, you know, have become my favorite and I really want to still use in, in some campaigns. Out of all the aberrations, at least the ones you can think of, favorite is? Um, that's kind of hard. I like, in terms of what I think is the most creepy, is probably an aboleth, a, a giant eel sending bad psychic juju out to ensnare people and can mind control folks and make them do weird shit but mainly because i don't like underwater stuff i think that com- that combination of strange unknowable alien and like uh deep water um, is particularly spooky but i also like sladdy i think they're pretty interesting but because they're like beings of pure chaos they kind of be a bit of a nightmare to play i feel unless you're gonna like because you have to the amount of mental gears you would have to you'd have to switch to 
portray that kind of chaos, I think, would be a bit odd. Unless you're rolling your reactions from a random table, which in itself I'm all for. They're pretty fun. But I like that, I like that idea. They're also another type that does that like forced insemination where they yeah, they yeah. literally infect and impregnate uh, their victim with an egg and the egg mind controls you and you basically become just its vessel that when the the tad the slod tadpole is born it will devour you from the inside out and that's they're all this yeah like these horrible ways of procreating seem, seems to be another one of those qualities that a lot of these aberrations have <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up the Abolith because I think the Abolith is probably my favorite out of all the different ones. I was looking into its history and it, it's even more amazing and more terrifying than I thought. So an Abolith is, is supposedly older than the gods. It is a primordial being that came from space before there was life on the planet. And it uh, so so. You know, in your world, there can be just one of them. Uh, it can almost be like this deity, or there can be multiple, but they're very, very powerful. A lot of aberrations, it seems like there are only one or two or, or very few of them. And I think that that is because they're spread across the galaxy and they are very powerful. But the Abolith, um, apparently one of their qualities is they live for eternity unless murdered. And if murdered, they are simply teleported back into the elemental plane of water. So it's not like you can even kill them. They're almost like a demon in the sense that they just get sent back to their plane when you destroy them, unless you go to their plane and destroy them there. Another thing is they have eternal memories. So they they remember things forever, which is why they never forget a grudge. And that's part of the reason they want to Mm. try to become so powerful that they can sow chaos into the world and take down the gods because they saw themselves as this rightful godlike creature on Earth before the, or not on Earth, but in the, Forgotten Realms and before the the gods that we think of in the game like Pelor and you know Lil, Lolth and all of those types of things the Abolith is like wanting revenge because it sees itself as one of the ancient gods one of the old gods one of the original mm-hmm. another thing is they create these giant empires of all these underwater creatures that are kind of like Atlantis as if they've been around for you know time memoriam and then they got destroyed and they sink underwater and they just fall into myth. I think that's another way you can make an entire campaign where you're exploring some crazy underwater city. And then there's this abolith that is running, you know, running that portion of the ocean. Um, they mentioned it. It's got a whole new alien environment to explore as well as this alien creature. Right. Uh, or hordes thereof. And you could do something like a, like a gate or some sort of, teleportation circle that takes you to the elemental plane of water and maybe what you thought of was this underwater city is simply a gate taking you to the true underwater city in the elemental plane and then they also can like talk to you in your sleep they can make you have dreams and nightmares they can also mind control you they can get you to become their slaves essentially and turn on your friends turn on the other people in your party they are not a cakewalk i've ran one of them one time the player's characters were like level five. They managed to escape. They did not kill the Abolith, but getting away was enough. That was a victory. Mm, for sure. I mean, it's like running away from Cthulhu. There's not really any shame in that. <laughs> if immortal primordial being, you know, like if it's, if it's up for fighting for godhood or the equivalency, then, you know, there's no shame in a bunch of level threes or fives or whatever they were running, running away from one. 
that's the challenge, you know. That's another example of winning a fight isn't necessarily um, an option and should be, you know, there should be other ways of uh, running encounters with these kind of creatures because they are so powerful for the most part. There is um, these creatures called choles and they essentially look like these stone crustaceans uh, with like tendrils coming from their face. Once again, showing the quality of a lot of the aberration type creatures <laughs> and these, the, the lore of the choles, which are aberrations are that they can live for hundreds of thousands of years. And they're these ancient creatures and they are statue-like to where many would think they're just statues, but they lay in wait, uh, sleeping. And apparently, any time, uh, apparently they were created and given sentience by aboliths back back in the ancient times. And they lay there waiting to serve another abolith that comes by. And so it says that essentially they're just like animals feeding and trying to survive and just trying to not die. And they're just going about this like life mind, uh, mindlessly, kind of. But when an abolith enters within, it said like five miles of them, it's like it activates this thing in like a sleeper agent in their mind. And they immediately gain this like intellect again. It like awakens their ancient power and they become these just these soldiers for this abolith and they can communicate with them telepathically and they're super powerful. These are like level five and there's like supposed to be an army of these that a single abolith can control. Mm. Once again, I think if you were doing that idea with like an underwater city being a gate to the elemental plane of water, it would certainly be guarded by these things. And you can have what looks to be these ancient statues of these giant lobster-like crustaceans, and then they come to life. Uh, the moment you open a gate, you know, bringing them some sort of connection with this abolith that waits on the other side, I think that'd be a really cool way to just bring a campaign to life and kind of give them a taste of what aberrations can do without throwing these low-level characters immediately against something like an abolith. I think that's a good example of the kind of not just the body horror aspect of ab- of aberrations, but the uh, the kind of psychological horror of it. Because if you, that scenario that you just gave us with the the chules, imagine that you like you exist in a kind of sort of semi conscious animalistic state for the majority of your undying existence, only to be granted sentience when you're essentially enslaved by another creature. So your only periods of like sentience and wakefulness are dominated by having another creature's will imposed over you. And then should that thing be defeated or go away, you just go back to being a an animal. And that's pretty that's pretty horrifying. <laughs> that's dark. Like that's really dark. It's like the Ood on Doctor Who and and it's odd because they also have that Lovecraftian look to them with the tentacles yeah, coming off the of their face. But it's like tentacle lobster face things. They're essentially like vegetables just waiting for someone to command them. And if they're they in that show they're described as being like almost depressed and, and like like not doing anything with their life unless someone is commanding them and they want to serve them or whatever. That's like what they enjoy doing. But it's like it has this weird mind control vibe where they are reacting to somebody else. Mm. And it's like they're these sleeping agents until that uh, somebody else comes by to command them. You can make your own aberrations. And it's, every one of them doesn't have to be violent. I think having something in a, in a D&D game that's like an Ood where it's, it is peaceful, it's just a messenger, but it's still being controlled by the evil guy, and it's there to tell you, you know, the master said, you, you know, you need to leave here or something, something, or there's no way you can stop him, you've activated the gate, now he's coming. You can just use them as, like, messengers, and, and maybe they're courteous, they're just a, a form of communicating to the players and kind of propelling the plot forward. Mm. I think it's worth looking into 
trying to create some sort of aberration that has these creepy qualities, but isn't necessarily something the party has to fight. Yeah, it gives the party pause because, you know, a lot of, a lot of the times you might be inclined to just smash a messenger of the evil person to send a message. But if you know that they're being mind-controlled to do stuff against their will, then, you, you know, you're probably less likely to smash the face in for uh, daring to come and uh, tell you a piece of bad news from the BBEG. And I'm all for giving players uh, uh, consequences <laughs> <laughs> and feels. It's like you you shatter this poor man's kneecaps. He looks at you with the tears in his eyes, so I you lord over him and say, take this one back to your master. <laughs> My children. Aberrations give you a lot of ways to provide a consequence to your players without the consequence just being, you know, you killed them. Mm. Like, I like the idea of they can uh, mind control them and maybe alter that player, that player's character forever or completely take over them and turn them into a villain for the campaign. They can make you go insane. They can uh, give them some sort of alien implant that is something that that character would have never imagined in a million years. They could... Uh, hopefully hopefully this doesn't happen but if you run to the wrong one it's very possible they could artificially inseminate someone and now they're giving like it's like something like out of alien they're giving birth to this horror that's bursting out of their stomach and and might also cause their death but also bring more creatures into existence to tear the rest of the party apart is your party's favorite npc the the person that they always were they've been acting kind of weird recently but there's been all kinds of weird stuff going on. Like, as you think about the the thing, if we were talking about ripping off sci-fi <laughs> horror films, I think you could do worse than Alien and the Thing, because I was the Slad um, as part of their reproductive thing. They, some of them might appear to be uh, human or be able to sort of polymorph themselves into the appearance of the um, the host for their egg. Um, so you can always, you know, that might be an interesting thing to do for a, a spooky turn. It's like a, a beloved NPC might not be who they say they are. It could be some aberrant creature or be mind controlled by one. And if they don't have, I mean, most of these, uh, aberrations already have these crazy powerful, uh, abilities just naturally as part of the character, as part of the creature. But if they don't have that ability, it's Dungeons and Dragons. There's so many magical items and spells and things that they could use to explain why they were polymorphed to look like a different character. There is a character in one of the shows on the network that was not what he seems, and he ended up being an aberration that was disguised as one of the NPCs in the story. And that certainly mm-hmm. was a surprise to me listening to that uh, podcast. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, Most of the aberrations seem to be evil and very evil. Uh, in the sense that goes beyond just good or bad. They seem like they want galactic domination or they want to literally like murder a living thing and that somehow is going to help it spawn more of its brood. But I noticed there were a few, there was only like one, maybe two abjurations I came across that were not completely evil. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Flump? Yes, the flump. The farting frisbee. Yes, the flump. So the flump was described as being lawful good as being this creature that swims through space. It, uh, 
It lives in the Shadowfell. It lives in the Underdark. And it is something that, even though it looks weird and has these tentacles and weird eyes and things, it is something that is supposed to be helpful. Kind of like a Will-O-Wisp, except it doesn't trick you by having you follow it into some place where you get killed. Like the Flumph is an actual beacon of light that in these very sinister areas is supposed to help you. And that's because they... uh well, for one, they're obsessed. They're, they're also uh, super intelligent and they're obsessed with gathering lore and gathering information and gathering history and just having knowledge in general. So they're able to provide you with a lot of information when you're in these very weird, these very alien and subterranean environments. It can be like a source of knowledge, a source of giving you some idea of, of the situation that you find yourself in. But they also feed on psionic energy, which is why they're attracted to hang around things like mind flayers and hang around things like beholders. And even though these things could very easily destroy them because they're only level one eighth, um, they feed off of this psychic energy. So it makes sense that if you're in a place with a lot of these super powerful aberrations, you might find a flump or two or 30 that can provide you with a little bit of a little bit of help. And a little bit of a break from fighting all these horror horror monstrosities. You laughed when I said flumps. Do you, do you hate flumps? Um, I just think they're funny to look at, and funny by the virtue of the fact that they propel themselves around by farting, basically. Yeah, they just expel gas, and it just um, pressurizes them around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a balloon flying around. Um, and the fact, that, <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting that, again, I think it comes down to sort of what the hell is the ecology of these things? How have they evolved? But um, that's a, that's more for my own personal mind experiment, really, than uh, a question to be answered. I mean, functionally, in a game, I think I don't see any anything wrong with them. If we're prepared to say that a giant man-of-war jellyfish with a predator face is lawful evil or whatever then why not have a fighting frisbee that's lawful good and feels compelled to tell you of all the evil thoughts it detects nearby good day sir are you lost oh well you're in luck today follow me i found a widow jones over there was fantasizing about beating my with a shovel <laughs> just read that back again so yeah, due to their strong telepathic nature, flumps were very sensitive to evil thoughts and felt the need to share them as quickly as possible with any good aligned creatures they found. So if they telepathically detect whatever it dis- determines to be evil, it just feel compelled to go and spread it around. So like having one in your settlement would probably not be ideal. They're just uh, outing everybody's little uh, peccadilloes. <laughs> but I suppose if they're drawn to... Um, areas where there are abolescents and such then you've got bigger problems um than someone t- outing your affair with the the milkmaid or whatever yeah it was interesting it said they travel in swarms called cloisters and they're <laughs> all size small so i'm thinking that there's like a, like i'm thinking a lot of them like you run into a room and they're they're like the size of a slices of bologna or something there's like 40 of these things flying around the room and they're all just telling you, like, don't go over there. Don't go over there. There's a whole bunch of creatures over there. It'll eat your brain. There's mind flayers over there. 
and they're probably super obnoxious and super uh, cartoonish and, and all of that. But, you know, they, they can give you information. They mm-hmm. warned you instead of you walking into that place that was yeah. filled with mind flayers. Now you at least know to avoid that place. And so I think you were saying that's an example of, a, of an, an aberration sort of used, used as comic relief, kind of. And again, because it's inherently something weird, I think you can sort of get away with injecting that kind of cartoonish slapstick or like sort of overperformance. You can put it gives you an excuse to put that in into a game that wouldn't necessarily have those kind of um hit those kind of beats usually. And it also acts as a kind of counterbalance to some of the really shockingly horrible stuff um that evil aberrations do or the the ones that are consistent, you know, in, in the existing law consistently described as evil. There's no reason why I don't think you, I don't think there's any reason why you couldn't have a good beholder or a good whatever, really. Um, because if it's intelligent enough to be selfish, the stands to reason that would, another individual would be, into, you know, intelligent creature would uh, see the virtues of uh, being good potentially, you know, even if it's just for enlightened self-interest. From the city that brought you Kentucky Fried Chicken, Sluggers, and Muhammad Ali comes Roll for Weird, a Monster of the Week actual play podcast. Join Philbert Fogel, Doomsday Prepper and Expert. I mean, I'm kind of like the linchpin that's keeping everything together in the group. Laysath, the Divine, and the Sensible. And I still owe him my life, so I would have to end yours. It would be a mess. Shadow, the edgy initiate. I trust him with my life. I don't know if I trust him with, you know, my bank account or my car or something like that. Misty Charlotte Paladino, spellslinger and trench coat enthusiast. But I haven't set anything on fire that I haven't meant to set on fire. Silas Lancaster, elderly vampire. There's only one Philbert. They broke the mold when they made Philbert. And Dragonbait as the Creeper Keeper. Silas, get back in your room! Roll for Weird. On Twitch, streaming monthly. New podcast episodes every other Friday. Available on Apple or wherever you find your podcasts. See, I know you you don't really dive into a lot of pre-published campaigns and things like that as much as probably I do, right? Yeah. So for you, you probably have a lot of homebrew. So if you do you also homebrew creatures and things when you're DMing, or do you usually pull something that you already know about, pull something from the monster manual? I I've read a lot of monster manuals and stuff, but I don't um go in so much for pre-made adventures. Um what I will tend to do is pull out a creature that I know something about, if it was thematically appropriate, and then tweak the stat blocks as I see fit. Generally, if it's just a like a you know, this is for important sort of encounters. Generally, my style is to just sort of bullshit through minor combats and stuff, it's stuff with guards or whatever. I'll just pull up a, a generic bandit 
So I don't think if you're like, I don't think there's much point in scaling something like town guards for like party encounters because right, town guards going to be a town guard and you get the same amount of training no matter whether you're a level one or a level twenty. The challenges the challenge varies depending on the uh, party and the characters, not the the training of the town guards. So, but yeah, I I like weird stuff. So I and I like homebrew. So I. I think really you can apply any of these kind of characteristics to any monster that you want. There's no reason to um, feel constrained by the rules as written. But if you do deep dive into that law, um, there are certain things about it that you can then use to um, influence your own thinking uh, and just use it as you know as a as a stepping stone. You don't have to take everything as it's as it's written down and use it based on what the author of Monster Manual 3 said, you know. Yeah, I definitely get that. And I I mean, I really like homebrewing things, and I certainly like taking ideas and then tweaking them in a certain way to help them meet uh, whatever my thing that I had in mind was. Mm-hmm. But making brand new characters and creating a whole new stat block and all that kind of stuff, that's kind of a lot of work. There's a lot that goes into it. Maybe it's not as much as building a playable character, but I mean, if you were doing that for multiple creatures it you know it takes time and it takes some effort fortunately there are a lot of people out there that already do that kind of stuff for you i know on you know dmsguild.com there are plenty of different books that people have published you know they've homebrewed it themselves and they made these unofficial books that just because they're unofficial they're still great they're these great ideas and they're they're professional quality um i don't know that's available on the on the dms guild but a very popular company is the Cobalt Press, and they're well known for making um, other uh, essentially monster manuals. Mm. There's three of them, but I only own one of them. And the one I own is called the Creature Codex. This thing is twice as thick as the monster manual. It has picture art for every single creature. I mean, there's hundreds of them. And when I was going through that book, there was twice as many aberrations in that book. And because it's it's not the the normal Wizards of the Coast source material I'm used to looking at, there were so many cool things that I just never even thought of before. Right on the second page is a creature called the Ahu Nixta, and it is this this Lovecraftian horror where all you see is this giant maw with these fangs and these teeth, and then all these eyes hanging out of it. It almost looks like a gibbering mouther in a lot of ways, but then it has these red tendrils hanging down, and it says that it doesn't speak a language uh, vocally, but it can telepathically communicate with anyone regardless of language. Mm. It cannot move on its own but it has extremely powerful psychic abilities and it's able to manipulate any physical object. So uh, what they describe is that these Ahu Nixta with their high intellect and their psychic abilities, they build these mechanical suits essentially that they wear and then they can use their psychic power to make them levitate. And so instead of moving their body, they're levitating the suit that happens to be a container that's holding them inside of it. And to me, like the picture it shows, it shows like this almost like Dr. Octopus with these long uh, like metal tendrils with these clamps on the end and then has these other arms coming off of this metal casing that one of them has a saw and one of them has like a hook. And then there's these ones with these blades and one has a drill. One of them looks like it might even shoot like a laser or something. This thing is extremely original. And based on the way it's described, it doesn't have any actual shape. Uh, that it's like an indescribable appearance when it's not in its suit. And then its suit is made of just scraps that it finds. And it says it is obsessed with constantly trying to make it perfect and constantly making changes to it and upgrading it. That 
that could be something that you can make it a, a small creature that they fight. Right here, it shows it as a level three. And, you know, maybe they fight a, a whole bunch of those, or maybe there's just one and he's like this junk man type character. You can make that as something that's not even evil necessarily. He's just like this guy that like owns this galactic junk planet and you go there to sell things from him. He'd be like a really cool shopkeeper or something. Or he can be something that grows with you. It says they're obsessed with evolving their armor constantly and, and upgrading. He could just be upgrading his suit and somehow be like this big boss character that you have throughout a whole campaign. Yeah. That's just one of these creatures. I mean, I have a list of literally like 22 from this book. It's crazy. So if you haven't checked out the Creature Codex or any of those other monster manuals out there by non-Wizards of the Coast authors, go check them out because they have so much cool stuff. There's one of them that it's a Grindy Low. So a Grindy Low, like we're thinking of popular mythology in our world. It's essentially Jenny Greenteeth, but they've made this thing even creepier. They've made this thing look like a demon, and, and it has these tentacles and this weird gaunt-looking face and these eyes that look like they're staring through you. I mean, I never would think of a Grindylo as being an aberration, but the way that these authors have kind of twisted the traditional idea, it definitely looks like an aberration. It can travel through planes, and it charms you and then drowns you to take you with it to the other world. I mean, these aberrations are just endless ideas. Anything weird. No, I'm all for, you know, as I say, I'm all for the exchanging of ideas and getting more uh, interesting monsters and adaptations of, uh, you know, things that we recognize. But I think that's, anything can be aberrant, really. The key things that we sort of picked out, I think, are there's always some degree of mind control going on and there's some sort of, generally some sort of otherness about their physical appearance and within those sort of two loose criteria you could put pretty much anything it's super interesting to see the kind of the mechanical aspects of the um what was what was it called again sorry the first one of the ahu nixta i think if you're doing a sci-fi uh campaign that would be amazing or if you're doing something where it's something ancient Mm. it's kind of like a a cool idea where like ancient things have some sort of technology that seems futuristic because it's something that no longer exists. And I think you could also do something like that with the Ahu Nixta. I really like that idea that it's um, true form, so to speak, is is unknowable. So it constructs its own identity and um, self and constantly strives to make that perfect. I think that's a really interesting um, like motivation. And the psychology behind that is really fascinating. Just sort of constantly seeking to improve and um, modify its public face. I really find that, yeah, I find that's hmm, food for thought. I really like that. I like any idea, uh, any campaign idea where you're taking this already massive world that we're offered in Dungeons and Dragons and looking to to expand it. I think the idea of expanding it to galaxy wide where they're going to not just different cities but different planets and different planes sure i think that is amazing for creating a very compelling story creating something that your players might have never heard of or ever thought of and you can i think that's one of those types of things that you can really take your characters to level all the way to level 20 like the the power level of a lot of these aberrations are so up there and it's not just you're fighting a dragon. You're, it's not just you're fighting these things. Space orcs. Yeah, you're fighting space things wars. you've never space imagined before. Is you can change the whole world. You yeah. can take away a lot of those stigmas. Like you don't have to. You know, orcs aren't evil. And you know, in this one, they're just 
were just orcs and they could be completely different. Maybe they're like gunslingers and they have laser guns and they have like this, maybe they're like Klingons essentially where they're just like these, this like war race that's like has this advanced technology. Maybe the Forgotten Realms planet is the only planet in the galaxy that doesn't have all this future tech. Like you guys are so behind the times. Or maybe the magic is a technology that's far in the future and they're like, mm. your characters have magic? What is that? And and you can think of technology as being something in the far, far past. There's so many ideas. And a lot of these creatures with this global domination type uh, lore to them, you know, there's other non-aberration creatures that are going to stop them. And I think really we should talk about them. And they're one of my favorite creatures ever. And that's the Gith. There's the Gith Yankee, the Gith Araya. Um, there's there's a few different types of, of the Gith. And essentially they are they are like galactic bounty hunters. They are like thought of as one of the most powerful races in the universe. They are known to be extremely skilled warriors and they travel they travel between planes, they travel between planets, they travel between galaxies. And one of their favorite things to do uh, is to hunt down and kill mind flayers. They they're, they want to destroy the elder brain, which is what controls an entire colony of, of mind flayers. So if, if these are creatures that part of their like ceremony to becoming like a top warrior is go and slay yourself a mind flayer, mm-hmm. they obviously are extremely powerful. You can have that be a, a secondary antagonist that comes in and it's kind of like a, a, an additional thread added to your plot line that they never thought of before. A lot of them are evil or neutral, so maybe they are just going to destroy whatever's in their way. And if your characters are in the way of their goal, maybe they bust right through them or They've just recently in the last year or two added Gith Yankee as a playable race uh, in Dungeons and Dragons. You can have a campaign where you're the Gith Yankee and you're going to hunt down these aberrations. You're going to slay these mind flayers. I think that'd be really, really cool, especially for a high level campaign. Mm. And the one last thing I want to say about the Gith, apparently their swords are like their best, like their treasure, their most treasured Mm -hmm. item. It's like samurai where their sword is their soul. And if one of them is stolen, the lore says that they will never stop hunting you for the rest of their life until they have retrieved that sword. And if they're slain, other Gith Yankees will come to reclaim that blade and bring it back because these blades are so powerful and they're, they're so like important to them that an outsider using them is an egregious sin. You can have a whole campaign where you find this awesome magical item and it turns out now the Gith Yankee are hunting you and you are being mixed up in some sort of mm. some sort of war you didn't even know existed. And it's all because you found some magical blade that the mind flayer was hiding in his lair that you stole from him. And maybe that mind flayer stole it from a Githyanki prince. And that's a, and another basis for a crazy space adventure. These Githyanki show up. Your level two characters don't need to have magic that can send them from one plane to another. The mind flayer and Githyanki that they just got in the middle of their fight accidentally teleport them to the other universe or something. And now they're way in over their heads. I mean, there's just so many ideas that spring to mind when I'm thinking about all this interplanar travel and, and intergalactic travel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something you said back there as well is they don't, there's no need for these creatures to necessarily be evil. Um, it's, it's just that they're motivated by things that you don't understand. You know, they've got completely different agendas to what you as a, a person inhabiting this fantasy world or whatever are used to. Uh, they that and that's what's alien about them their motivations and uh, their their agendas rather than necessarily the physical differences because I mean the gith themselves are kind of like they're they're mutated humans I believe in the law they've been like 
enslaved and, and mutated. Um, and that's why they hold such an incredible grudge against um, the Mind Flayers. But yeah, it's not necessarily that they are motivated to be your, like, the party's antagonist. It's just that they've got competing, uh, competing objectives. They're pursuing a completely different kind of goal. Um, I think that's an interesting thing. That's almost more interesting than just making them a straight-up antagonist because you can potentially understand and relate to their motivation, but it's just competing with your own. Yeah, they don't have to be evil to somehow have you become an enemy of theirs. Yeah. I mean, if if they're this race of creature and they're trying to destroy one of these elder brain colonies that maybe for the past thousand years has been roaming across the galaxy just devouring and enslaving planets one after another and just infecting them with these uh, mind flayers the way that the aliens, the xenomorphs in the alien movies are, especially now with the expanded universe and the newer movies. Mm-hmm. It, it, to them, maybe their goal is to stop that elder brain from destroying the whole galaxy. And in and, and their heart, they're doing the right thing. They're trying to save the galaxy. And if they teleport to your planet and you're in the way of them killing this mind flayer, I mean, they might kill you or something, but they're not evil they're just i mean you were like an obstacle in the way and and in the grand scheme of things killing that mind flayer is worth any sacrifice or or any death of some innocent that might have been in the wrong place at the wrong time they're shown as neutral in a lot of ways i don't see any that are some of them are evil some of them are neutral i think as a dm you can play any any creature any character any monster even any way that you want you can change it if you don't like the way it is i think the best way especially with intelligent creatures is just think of them as individuals you don't have to think of this this class or this race or whatever is always evil or always good or they're individuals. They make individual decisions and maybe they have cultural impacts that will affect those decisions. But you can make a mind flayer that's a good guy. You can make a beholder that's a good guy. You can make a flump that's evil. Oh, the whole thing is always trust the flump. And then it's he just Jar Jar Binks himself. And now he's like the bad guy or something. You know what I mean? Like he could be this honestly using a flump and making it like a super bad guy would be ridiculous because they're so silly nobody would ever expect it that would be that would be pretty funny yeah i'm gonna kill your family (laughs) (laughs) and he just flies away so obviously uh aberrations are all over the place we have scratched the surface i mean we didn't even read a single stat block to you we could fill up hours of, of time just going through and reading all their crazy abilities before we go uh, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? Um, just to reiterate the the fact that aberration by its very definition just means something that's strange and weird and uncanny. Um, in terms of D&D, the main common threads seem to be some sort of mind control or reality warping powers and weird um, body horror aspects generally. Um but that doesn't mean necessarily that they always have to be evil. And as we've just discussed, we can. I think it's probably sometimes more interesting to just sort of make them alien and not easily understandable rather than just outright evil. I think the thing I want to leave our listeners with today is make your own world, make your own ideas, but use the source material that exists, use the lore that exists, and then find a way to bend it to fit whatever your idea is. Because I think there's a lot of good source material that, you know, just in talking about this, I've like, it's like, I want to create some campaign now, just like the ideas that we had come up with. Mm-hmm. But I'm really, you know, I want to use Githyanki and Githariah and things like that. And 
like you said, make them this third party that somehow gets mixed up in the campaign that you're already involved with. They're not aberrations, but looking at their stat blocks, the Gith seem like they're pretty well prepared to fight something like a Mind Flayer. They're extremely intelligent. They have psionic psychic abilities that fits right in. They have a lot of abilities like Mage Hand, Invisibility, Misty Step. They can uh, go through different dimensions. They can jump and fly and I mean, there's all different types of them, but it seems like the abilities that they're giving them, they're like made to hunt aberrations. So I think that is a, I think that's the thing I don't leave them with is just consider the gift and see how maybe you can use them into your, in your campaign and uh, use that to propel some sort of plot where your players can, can encounter a lot of aberrations and, and horrific things like that. You can add a lot of complexity and unexpected plot twists to your campaign hmm. and as as we said before as well i think you can balance a lot of that um darkness with things like you know flumps or um and another interesting and sympathetic sort of faction which could be the gif in this instance all right well that's all the time that we have on today's episode Thanks for listening, and make sure you tune in to our next episode of Dice Talk. Consider the gift. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. Do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview on a future episode? Or perhaps a topic that you'd like to hear us talk about? We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to DiceTalkPod.com. There you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to MajesticGoose.com where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts so that we can reach as many listeners as possible. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel about the show and really is the best way that you can support us right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Oh.